I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I'm your other host, Margot Poupard. Well, today we get to talk about a movie that is near and dear to our hearts, 25, count them, <laughs> years later. We are talking about the Drew Barrymore classic, Ever After. And here to join us is the amazing Molly Sanchez, who you may remember from our previous episodes. Welcome, Molly. Yay. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We yeah, are. I am so a little excited. embarrassed, though. This is like the third podcast I've been on to talk about ever after. Um, so I like being like the official, like the, the uh, uh, expert on it. So. I was I was going to say, it's like, I really actually feel like today, Emily and I do so much research for this podcast. It feels good that we get to take a back seat and let like a real historian take over uh, for us. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. I'm like, I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I'm not really here to like put in my two cents because I'm here to like be in front of, you know, an audience of of somebody who knows what she's talking about. We, we have a Ph. Drew amongst us and that to me <laughs> makes me so happy. <laughs> Yes, I love her. She's my favorite, especially recently. I felt like really seen by all of those like super intense clips from her talk show. I'm like, you know what? Give me half of a martini and that's me too. So I really identify with that. She's truly that person. You know, that Jamie Lee Curtis clip who of her on the red carpet um, being asked about Ariana DuBose. Is yes. Like, and she's like, let her fucking shine. That is how <laughs> I feel about True Barrymore and her dancing in the rain. And she's truly too, she is too wholesome, too kind. I, I think yeah. that I love the fact that this woman is literally living out loud on this talk show. She got to be locked up in a glass cage by... <laughs> by Dan Humphreys, by you. She got to dress like M. Thregan and conduct an entire interview with the lead dressed up as M. Thregan. I love Wild. everything Drew Barrymore is currently doing. I cannot 
do anything other than uh, a voice my undying support for the absolute un like she's bringing back unhinged 90s daytime mm. talk show host and I really appreciate it like this is oh, like Rosie too. O'Donnell's show level of just like this is my fantasy and you I'm- can take it or leave it but you can't say anything mean because you know I'm truly like one of the nicest people ever Absolutely. If you got beef with Drew, you got beef with me. Um, yeah. And I think I even fight you. <laughs> yeah. Even beyond like the chaos of like a 90s TV show, like all of her talks are like feet on the couch, mm-hmm. like mom <laughs> talks. And that's like my favorite thing in the entire world. So I just bask in that. I, I love that her energy. She and Kelly Clarkson have both done this very well, yes. which mm-hmm. is to in a in a world of like post Ellen, post you know nightmare TV, uh, James Corden, Oof. where we know these people are nightmares to work with, it is so refreshing to have these wonderful people who are just like, let's take those heels off, let's pull up a chair, let's <laughs> let's chat, let's let's get into our feelings, and if you're Kelly Clarkson. Let's sing a karaoke version of a song that I'm going to do 10 times better than the original artist. (laughs) Let me give you a vinyl on the way out. Yeah. I love that energy. I'm here for it. I feel like, honestly, I feel like we're entering a new era of like earnestness. And as somebody who is perpetually in their earnest era, I'm just like, yum, 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 I'll take it all. This is where I thrive. Yeah. And, you know, to, to bring it to Ever After, I will say upon rewatching it recently for this podcast episode, it mm-hmm. is an incredibly earnest retelling of Cinderella that I think is what really makes it stand the test of time 25 years later, because I feel like it holds up better now than I remembered it to. Like the por- the parts of the movie that I remember be absolutely devastating. Her dad dying, her stepsisters yes. being twats, um, yes. the throwing of her dad's book in the fire. I remember gasping yeah. and sobbing as a child. Like, I cannot oh my fathom God. being that mean to someone. But it well, still hits the same when I watched it like the other day. I was like, oh, that's so evil and rude. Like her dad is dead. How awful do you have to be? I do think that it like hits a specific corner of the population, which is uh, a population I call girls who ate lunch inside. Um, And (laughs) because like if you were like a little girl who ate lunch inside and was friends with the librarian, you're like, I literally can't think of anything more heinous than burning a book right in front of you. It's like the Amy March torture. It's it's like we get the stakes there because we're like, I would fucking die if somebody did that to me. I Um, mean, yeah. It's so true because I remember seeing that movie in theaters with my mom and sister when I was 25 years ago. So that was, I can't do math, 10. I was 10 years old and like it still hits. I mean, the, someone burning a book makes me cry. Oh. It's like the same DNA as like American Girl and Dear America <laughs> and Royal <laughs> Diaries. Like, yeah. Yeah. If there was a little historic love for historic fiction or something adjacent to that as a child, you were hard pro camp of ever after totally yeah (laughs) and i think like aesthetically what i like about it is it falls into like this like 90s princess core Mm -hmm. which is kind of different than like the predecessor generation of like the 80s which has movies like princess bride and lady hawk and those just the color palette there is way more brown and then when we get into the 90s and we get movies like ever after and uh, a fairy tale and little princess it gets like way more lush and golden Mm -hmm. and it's just like I'm always searching for that aesthetic and I always want to write something 
with that aesthetic because it just feels so comforting to me. (laughs) There's something about the color palette of even though it's supposed to be 1512 France, which this Mm -hmm. movie, you know, if I had one quibble and this is about all 90s movies that did this is like it takes place in France, but we suspiciously are all British and have British accent. Oh, my gosh. And there is not one lick of French except for maybe some of the names. But that doesn't that's neither here nor there. It's 1512 France. And yet they also look like they could be in a whole music video like tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I can I can hear uh, Heaven Tonight playing as she's like running through a field in a dress. So there's something also distinctly 90s about it. But I was really surprised to learn that it's Jenny Bevins who did Mad Max and she's like won Oscars for her costume design had did this. And it's one of those like when you realize that uh, Pat Fields also does the costuming on Emily in Paris, you're like, oh, like (laughs) just sort of expands a little bit. So it kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. why it also feels a little timeless. She has like a great attention to costume detailing that somehow makes it like of its time, but also a throwback piece. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I have to ask, since I, I shared when I kind of first oh, yeah. saw Ever After, when was the first time you both saw Ever After? And what, I mean, Molly, you've already kind of started it, but what what is your relationship to this movie other than having a PH Drew? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, so 1998, I was seven, I think, when this came out. And my grandma took me and my, my other cousin, who's the same age, um, and I remember my cousin was sitting on my grandma's lap with her hands over her ears because she, we later found out, has a sensory disorder. So we always thought she was like over dramatic when she'd put her hands over her ears at the movie theater. But no, poor baby was suffering. Anyhow, that's neither here nor there. I just remember watching it with my grandma and my cousin and not understanding the finer details, but just having like hit in the face with, I want that. I want all of that forever. I just like. <laughs> completely absorbing it um and then as an adult I kind of rediscovered it and now it's honestly in very very regular rotation I watch it at least twice a year I love this movie so fucking much um and in general I really enjoy Cinderella stories and I've consumed a lot of them across genres and mediums so yeah those are that's my story um, how about you Marco? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Was there a second part to the? No. Oh no, no. That's pretty much it. What about you, Margo? Um, I had a similar experience to Molly in the sense that as soon as I saw it, I don't think I like understood, you know, its full feminist message, but something in me immediately went like, this is extremely my (laughs) shit. I'm like, I ride hard for this movie. It shall be checked out from Blockbuster every weekend from here until eternity. And it really was. I think it started as, it must have been a slumber party movie. I remember watching it on VHS and watching it with, and I wasn't alone. So it was either with like a couple of girlfriends at a slumber party or just one other friend and us just like sobbing and screaming and like clapping and like just feeling absolutely thrilled and there was something a lot more relatable about the Danielle de Bergerac character that was a little bit more accessible to us maybe it was like the Drew Barrymore of it or Mm -hmm. because the story felt more grounded because it wasn't animated there was something that we all kind of like clung to and for whatever reason especially if you're like a a child of the 80s and 90s I had this around 
irrational fear that my parents were going to tragically die and I was going to be left with a horrendous step family, especially knowing my father and his taste in people that he dated after my mother. I was, that was like my greatest fear. And so, you know, when her dad falls off the horse and has a heart attack, we're just all sobbing and we're so devastated by it. And just the idea of like your family heirlooms and them getting passed down to like the wrong people and you can't even stand up for yourself. There was so much there was a lot of like palpable anxiety in the movie that kind of spoke to us on levels that we didn't really understand quite yet as like Oof. nine or 10 year olds or whatever. But I feel like every time I rewatch it, I get something new out of it now. But it was just sort of like a a staple because it like felt like a really realistic fairy tale, probably because it wasn't quite a fairy tale and it wasn't as grim as no pun intended, the Grimm brothers ending. So there it, there was something like right. something light about it, even though, you know, like there might be some upsetting parts. There always felt like it was a happy ending that felt like that could happen to you. Like that sort of importance of like feeling that you could get with a boy band member, even though in reality, this isn't for you. <laughs> so I think that's why it had the, the test of time. Plus, Drew Barrymore was... Uh, there was like a phase where I just watched nothing but Drew Barrymore movies and I think Ever yeah. After was totally in that mix oh. but I watched like everything that she was in including Firestarter like there was yes. just a phase where I was just very very into Drew Barrymore there was you know there's it's just her natural charisma you just want to like watch her and stuff I definitely think that she had an appeal to girls in our age cohort because she had like cool older cousin energy Mm -hmm. in that because we forget, you know, in the 80s and 90s, Drew Barrymore had like a big spicy edge to her. Like she was like in Playboy and she was dancing on what was it? Letterman's desk. Yeah. And she flashed him. Yeah. mm -hmm. So in that era, going into like the Charlie's Angels sort of era, Mm -hmm. like it was like she is so cool but also seems so nice she doesn't seem cool in a mean way she seems cool in like somebody who would you know buy you a slurpee if you didn't tell your mom that she also bought cigarettes you know yeah totally it's I absolutely feel that and I think one of the things with Drew Barrymore was she um her kind of second uh, peak of fame at that time you know because she was a huge child star went through rehab wrote her memoir and then the 90s had a another kind of big peak of her career Um, she came in at a time when girl power was all the rage. The Spice Girls Mm -hmm. were super popular in the mid to late nineties. And she was very outspoken at the time, like was really adamant about being a feminist, talked a lot about women's rights, was very much like a hippie child and like what, you know, talked about causes. And I think for it related, a lot of us related to that so much. And even this movie choosing a feminist, a post-feminist retelling of Cinderella where this character has agency. She is, you know, she is able to be strong and she is not beholden to a prince or a fairy godmother. It's, it all fits in and packages so nicely. And the older cousin thing you mentioned, I feel that really hard because my favorite older cousin in the world, Stephanie, looks a lot like Drew Barrymore <gasps> in some cases. Wow. And they're a couple, they're about the same age. And um, she also speaks with a very similar um affection like just she uh-huh. speaks similarly with a slight lisp and just like they have a very similar voice and so I very much felt at times though <laughs> Drew Barrymore was <gasps> my cousin though not um but she is not Canadian oh. um and not yeah not my cousin Stephanie obviously but there was so many like similarities that I think I I continue to have a true like a love for Drew Barrymore to this day because of that 
Um, that is so, so funny because yes. I had an older cousin. Everybody say the name of your cool older cousin. My cool other older cousin, Heather, I always thought was Alicia Silverstone. So like we all have like, there is an archetype. Margo, who is your cool older cousin and what celebrity did they resemble? Oh, I think my cool older cousin is also named Emily, spelled exactly like Emily. Um, and she actually is kind of like a Rose McGowan, like of the 90s type. Like she's oh, a little edgy. That. A little oh edgy, gosh. a little scary, but pretty cool overall. We need a spinoff with all of these older cousins. Older cousin camp. Older, yeah. cousin older, camp. older cuspy millennials. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Um, so obviously we've talked about rewatching this movie as an adult and how we still really much love it to this day. Are there any additional thoughts that came to mind as you're, you know, rewatching this again as an adult um, that you didn't think of as, you know, watching it as a kid during a sleepover during a rerun on TV or something like that? Yes, I have two major beefs with this movie. Uh, number one, the framing device is bullshit. It doesn't help anything. It is so unnecessary. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, they could cut out the whole beginning part with the Grimm brothers showing up <laughs> and it would be the same movie pretty much. Yes. You don't need it. And the voiceover uh, end caps at the beginning and at the end don't need it. It we're, The story is strong enough to just stand on its own and you could just have a narrator because it's a fairy tale. Like it's not, totally. it's not that deep. Yeah. And you truly don't even need that. So the framing yeah. device, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, is that uh, we don't get right into the story. We are years in the uh, years beyond the story. The Grimm brothers visit a queen and she's like, ah, you wrote a Cinderella story. Bam. My relatives were a Cinderella story. <laughs> um, but it's dumb <laughs> for the reasons that you mentioned, but also because it's like, why would you try to seat this in actual history? Because this didn't happen. We're in France. Everybody's speaking with a British accent. Uh, Utopia was only out for like one year when Leonardo da Vinci was alive. So they would have almost never crossed paths. Like we're playing so fast (laughs) and loose with everything. Like why? Why have this? It weakens everything. It does have like major... So Margo, I watched the Weird Al biopic with Margo. <gasps> I love, oh, yeah. <laughs> starring Daniel Radcliffe. And it's got that kind of energy in that we've tried to fit in every <laughs> contemporary. Let's fit in every single contemporary at the time. Just like have them pop in for a hot second for maybe a cup of coffee in this. Oh. Well, it, it feels like they just do it to name check them. It doesn't really feel like they're doing it with any sort of obviously any sort of historical uh, deference. But I, I don't know. I guess it does stick out like on a rewatch because you're like you just this this character Leonardo da Vinci could literally be anyone because I guess originally he was supposed to paint Danielle's final makeup for the ball but then like the makeup artist was like I don't want that kind of pressure in my life (laughs) so they just changed it anyway so I don't know I kind of it felt like 90s kooky to me and so maybe I'm just a little bit more forgiving I think the it takes place in France and yet no one even has like a hint of a French accent and it's no I don't it could truly be anywhere Um, why is it in France you know, well, that's I, my point is like, I truly love uh, Leonardo da Vinci as the fairy godmother character. I think that is so fun and wild. Um, but obviously, this is not a documentary. So we don't need a framing <laughs> device that's like, no, it was all real. They did live. It's like, No, they didn't. Just have fun. It's okay. It's truly okay. 
it's it is funny you bring up the so the french thing the only french that that i can recall the only french actor in this entire thing is jean moreau who plays the grand great great granddaughter who the framing device Uh, so she is the only french actor that can even the the guy who plays danielle's dad is a dutch actor like i looked oh, this up and i was he looks like, pretty french he looks like he a looks, lot of my uncles i remembered him as gerard depardieu for some reason like he does look like gerard depardieu's like stand-in you know you know they wanted to get depardieu but couldn't afford you know this is like that's why fr- they got like- the monet of depardieu because you like split and you're like could it maybe i don't know He's putting the dupe in Depardieu. <laughs> Depardieu dupe? Dupe. <laughs> um, but w- another problem, when the last Ever After podcast I was on, we discussed the <laughs> framing device is also dumb. My friend Maggie Takutahal from the Failure to Adapt podcast said, um, it's especially dumb framing device because if the whole movie is like, oh, Danielle got the, pr- Danielle had pussy so good it caused education reform and now we care about the bourgeoisie. It's like, well, that didn't stick because the French Revolution still happened. So, like, why have it? Like, we know most of their Danielle and Prince Henry's relatives were like guillotined. So it, it like doesn't matter. Just pretend. It, it's truly like Belle and Beauty and the Beast when we know the fate. We're just like, oh, this is lovely. Everybody's rejoicing. Na 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 na. Like five years later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I've never thought about that as it pertains to Beauty and the Beast, but you're so right. Oh, my God. That's awful. But wouldn't Beauty and the Beast and Ever After kind of live in the same time period, too? Yes. I don't know. Probably. We'd have to check just the date t- on the bottom of Chip the Teacup to see okay, when yeah, that was forged. I mean, yeah, and then we can map Disney. Because I, I looked up where they shot it, the, the Chateau and yeah it's like you know kind of in the middle of the countryside i just wonder where beauty and the beast takes place it can't be far you know hypothetically crossover Mm -hmm. that's what i'm Um, saying and then not to monopolize the conversation but i have one last beef no this is Um, great and my last beef goes thusly marguerite did nothing wrong (laughs) minus the book marguerite does not deserve her fate um and i'll tell you why uh because I think it's mean that the king and queen punish. I don't necessarily think it's wrong that they punish Angelica Houston necessarily because obviously she's a very bad manager. Um, But I think Marguerite is an instrument of Angelica Houston. And I think coming up with like the Thomas More of it all is like you can't build this system where the only way to advance yourself is to marry someone rich and then get mad at someone when they try to advance themselves by marrying rich. It's like you you first create a thief and then punish them. So I think Marguerite didn't do anything wrong and doesn't deserve to be punished. Uh, and that's my spiel. We we had a Cal Truther, you know, early on this season. Now oh my Mar- god, Marguerite, a Marguerite <laughs> Truther. This is great. I'm loving this yeah. season. What about yeah. Jacqueline? What do you think? Do you think that it's fair that she gets punished? I mean, she's the only one that actually tries to help Danielle. She doesn't get punished. Oh, does she not yeah. get banished? She gets the a boyfriend. Yeah, oh, she, gets, she gets a boyfriend. Good yeah. for Jacqueline. Never mind. I take it I all back. I mean, I guess what they're trying to show us throughout is that Marguerite's just like baseline rude. <laughs> yes, so she's not nice. She needs to be humbled, I suppose. But I don't think indentured servitude is 
a punishment that fits the crime of being a little cunty. Oh yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, what, otherwise, would... lock me up, girl. I was gonna say, where would I be if that's a Send crime? Send me through the laundry. <laughs> I just think that you know, it, uh, during the time, it is maybe it's not uh, correct, but it is historically accurate because at the time they just sure. punished w- women willy nilly, regardless of True. your actual crime. Your proximity to it was all yeah. they cared about. So I believe it. Yeah. But and we know, uh, know from the framing device that it is all historically <laughs> accurate. So. Exactly. We, this is a movie based on historical accuracy. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think any of your grievances are uh, misplaced, right? Like, I think that the framing device does. I mean, it doesn't weaken your enjoyment of the movie because no. when I remember the movie, I almost never remember the beginning or how it's framed. I just remember the it like picks up when she starts throwing apples at a, the prince's head. Like in my mind, right. that's where it truly begins. It's like how you forget that Julie Julia has a nine eleven subplot. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> just just remember, <laughs> never forget <laughs> Julie Julia. Come on, Nora Ephron. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> I think this is a really good kind of segue because we were talking about you know how we frame this narrative, how this is a retelling of Cinderella. So so one question I have is, that, do you think this was a movie that was a catalyst that ushered a bunch of rewritten fairy tale feminist, kind of post-feminist retellings of fairy tales or famous novels or plays? Um, and I'm thinking about, and a lot of these are based on books, uh, Ella Enchanted, Woo. Rosaline most recently uh, was based on Romeo and Juliet, Catherine Called Birdie's film Woo. adaptation just aired on Amazon. Um, do you think this is kind of the one that that starts it all or there ones prior to ever after that really have a similar kind of post feminist this character in the traditional fairy tale didn't have agency or in this time wouldn't have had agency, but she will in this book or film or something like that? Well, I don't think that the concept of an updated retelling is necessarily groundbreaking if you will but with no. the feminist tilt on it i i don't i'm sure there were but maybe not one as progressive as ever after mm-hmm. especially when it comes to essentially trying to tell a version of a cinderella story where she is not helpless where that she has some agency and some voice and uh it's it's a little bit more grounded i i'm sure there is something but all i can think of are like the terrible you know, erotic thrillers of the 80s that are supposed to convey a woman's point of view. But really, it's just that like they we went so far the other way in the 80s where it's like women can be just like men. So they're going to behave just like men and be very poorly behaved and have affairs and murder people. And that's sort of like that was like the feminist film culture of the 80s. But then in the 90s, it started to come back more towards like a middle. And I don't know if Ever After necessarily started a trend, but I definitely think that movies made after after Ever After are definitely inspired by Ever After's success and uh, the way that it told its story. So I might, I think that's a really great point, Margot. And I like what you said about sort of the way that we viewed feminism in the media made around feminism in the, in the eighties. I would argue that actually the fairy tale retelling that kicks this off. And this is from doing one second of research and thought, <laughs> uh, so, you know, please don't fact check me. I would say the retelling of a fairy tale that kicks off this is Pretty Woman. Uh, ah, sure. Because I think yeah. Pretty Woman is a Cinderella story. Um, mm-hmm. And Pretty Woman, there was actually just a fantastic episode of You Must Remember This yes. talking all about this. Yes. Um, 
so but pretty woman is is a cinderella story that is progressive you know from a feminist perspective but also from like reshaping what we might think about sex workers a little bit or what we might think about relationship dynamics and um all of the problematic stuff about it aside i do think that's like kind of an updated version of a fairy tale that merges sort of the erotic stuff from the 80s with the emerging sort of feminist feelings of the 90s um yeah but i i love all the media you mentioned that comes either concurrent with or after ever after that was like all just deeply deeply my shit and it's why i'm so mad about the um 2015 uh disney cinderella remake because to my mind ever after did everything right in terms of making that character dynamic and interesting especially when you consider comparing it to like the fairy tale version of cinderella in like the original pro text it's cinderella is very pious like so much of the action is propelled mm-hmm. by her praying and crying she's and very so meek it's, yeah mm-hmm, it's like a meek morality tale about them inheriting the earth yeah and then as we get farther and farther away from that cinderella gets more and more agency and she's cooler and she's more spunky like i love in this version that the prince likes her not because she is meek but because she pops off um, and so I'm really pissed off forever that the 2015 Disney uh, live action Cinderella was just like, no, copy paste the one we made in the 50s, but now with Rob Stark. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, why? In a post ever after world, why are we doing this sloppy work? That live action Cinderella is the epitome of gorgeous gowns, beautiful gowns, because that's exactly. all I really remember from the movie. Was yeah. that the costuming was great, but it was... And it's Kenneth Branagh, and I'm not a huge fan of his directing anyway, but it was such a fucking snooze, too. Yeah, I think I agree. Beautiful one dance. thing, <laughs> in talking about some of these, like, so I recently watched this uh, vi- this movie version of Catherine called Birdie. Um, oh, I loved it. And I really enjoyed it as well. I was surprised because I was going in. It's directed by Lena Dunham. I was like, I don't know. uh," But I actually really liked it. And I thought it was kind of interesting. I feel like her best friend in Catherine, her her boy best friend in Catherine called Birdie. um, I feel like his portrayal was an homage to Gustav, but Ah! coded. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Gustav is coded gay in Uh Ever After. And I feel like in... Catherine called Birdie, we get this character who does admit that he likes boys. And I, I almost Ugh. feel like that was, it was almost like a, a, a um, redemption for Gustave. Holy what they shit. What couldn't do in the 90s. That comparison is so beautiful, Emily. Thank, Thank you. you for making it. Oh my God. The the Gustave to Perkin pipeline is yes, amazing. Perkin. Yes, 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 yes. That's so cool. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. Um, but I, I do, you know, I, I watched Catherine called Birdie like a few weeks ago on a plane and it was, it was very much like, oh, I see. Yes. Lena Dunham took the best parts of ever after and, and brought that into what I love that book growing up, but like I, she did such a good job realizing it. And yes, it slightly delineates from the plot, but in a good, in a way that works and, yeah, I just I felt like it was it it was so well done and I really enjoyed that. And have you, you seen Rosaline yet? I haven't. It it would definitely sparked my radar. But um, I haven't. Very, very similar. I mean, I think a little bit more modern in the sense of like it's set in obviously Shakespearean era, but 
is used with they use modern language and everything but Mm -hmm. they really harp on the fact that you know rosaline is a much more interesting character romeo's a fuckboy and everything anyway it's just (laughs) i very much enjoy these kind of uh because i see the bits and pieces of ever after that inspired them in in the way they tell the story and where they've done some some cases they've done a better job in some cases they've done a worse job but like i just i love that it inspired this in some ways yeah. Oh my gosh. I need a platform to talk about this because I went to go see Catherine called Birdie in the theaters in the middle of the day because I was so excited that it was playing because that was one of my favorite books of all time. And I think that adaptation is so perfect. And it really nails, even though it was made in 2022, it nails that 90s princess core lighting and aesthetic. And mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. So as much of a psycho as Lena Dunham can be sometimes, or as much as a complicated figure psycho is not nice as much of a complicated figure as she can be sometimes she has my respect forever for how good the Catherine called birdie um adaptation is and i should not have called her what i just called her because i would really like to make something with her that has a similar vibe so lena i'm very sorry i apologize (laughs) but you you know better than anybody sometimes you say dumb shit because you're excited so anyway that's my just putting that out there are there any other adaptations that I'm missing in the, I mean, Princess Diaries, I guess, oh. is an, it's another great, like, modern, I mean, it's it's based on a book and everything, but it is this, to- you know, story taking a concept of, like, various fairy tale components of finding out this about your identity and, like, anyway, I it's 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 been interesting to see the evolution in some ways. Well, I didn't. Well, love- Ella Enchanted is. I, I was think, just a great about to bring it up. That, but yeah. say what you're gonna yeah. say. I didn't yeah. love the adaptation, but I love the book. Ella Enchanted. Me too. I, Me I, too. For all of the reasons, Emily, that you just listed about like just bringing in these different elements and kind of mixing them together, but also having like a protagonist whose point of view felt really like fresh and easy to relate to, and you wanted to like follow her around on and on her different adventures because she made adventures seem fun, and I. I remember being really let down by the Anne Hathaway adaptation, but I yeah. think that El Enchanted is so ripe for like the next big adaptation. <laughs> yeah. 90s Princess yeah. Core adaptation as Molly. Well I want to write it. <laughs> I'm going to write it. Yeah. Molly has, she wrote a, a spec that we've like read in our writers group that we have together and it's so good. And it's like, it's very satisfying you. if you love the book, because I, I feel did. like you brought in like the best elements of the book, but also made it a little bit modern and ever after-y. So I think that that's... <laughs> well, that's a huge compliment. I think it's just like the next... It, it really is like next in line because I didn't... Uh, Catherine Call Birdie was not a book that I read. Um, although oh. I respect that everybody that's seen it that loved the book said that it's like one of the better book adaptations that they've seen. So I trust everybody on that. And I haven't watched Rosaline yet, but uh, I would love a do-over of Al Enchanted because that was extremely my shit growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Same, same. So another question, because we're talking about more kind of fairy tale. We talked about the fairy tale spin on a fairy tale with a modern adaptation or one where the protagonist has more agency. Um, One thing to note, and I realize the Cinderella story is a trope that is you and and concept that is used so much in filmmaking, TV, what have you. Like it's it's constant. But during a 10 minute, 10 year period, there were quite a few Cinderella retellings that came out is it a coincidence that there was this kind of 10 year period that where this happened so around the same time ever after comes out we get the brandy version of rogers and hammerstein's cinderella 
A few years later, we get Made in Manhattan. We talked about Ella Enchanted's uh, the film adaptation, and then Hilary Duff's. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cinderella story. Does Hollywood... Do you think they still very much actively push that Cinderella narrative this day and age? Like, have there been a lot of these Cinderella or Cinderella adjacent um, adaptations that have have shown up in in movies recently? Or is this one that I think Hollywood has kind of taken a break from, at least for the time being? No, Hollywood loves a rags to riches story, which is essentially all Cinderella is. You could argue that Slumdog Millionaire is a Cinderella story. There are elements of Cinderella stories in a lot of I would just see what you would what you would imagine is like Oscar contenders or Oscar bait kind of have like a tinge or at least the successfully ones have like a tinge of like a rags to riches heart of heart of gold underneath all of that I think that they love that kind of stuff I think that the Cinderella trend though I mean now it's like Disney just wants to remake all of their IP but like back then I think it really was you saw one studio have success and ever after was a box office success and then did well later on on VHS and on DVD. So when you see somebody doing that for a cheap budget, you're like, well, I can do that too. And and sometimes things get stuck in development and there are all sorts of Hollywood boring reasons why things kind of like come out staggered but are still part of like the same trend. And um, I think that that kind of like explains away some of the Cinderella trend that happened ever at during the ever after time. But I think that they're always going to be making Cinderella-esque stories because it's aspirational and it's like it has a a vibe of American dream to it. So I think that those are sort of like the agendas, for a lack of a better term, that they like to push thematically. I completely agree with you. I think it's a very profitable agenda to push as they, they talk about with Pretty Woman in the You Must Remember This episode of like, it's so intrinsic to capitalism that you get a makeover, you get a new mm-hmm. outfit. That's your ticket to a better life. Um, but how I think this we're seeing the Cinderella dynamic play out now is actually, I think, in reality shows. So I think like mm. Queer Eye is a Cinderella story because they take not just any schmo off the street, the kindest, nicest man you've ever met who happens to have sideburns. And if he just didn't have those sideburns and he had a nice trip to J. Crew, his life would be so much better. And look, ta-da, it is now. Um, and so I think this narrative that like the nicest, best people should get this sort of capitalistic reward 
is in reality shows. And I think we even see it in like dating reality shows too of like, it's never going to be the heel that they end up with. It's always like the sweet woman or, or, you know, the person who is nice. I mean, I think great example, uh, though I still have not watched the finale, uh, (laughs) but I think a great example is in the season of love and love is blind. I think bliss is a great sort of Cinderella story because it's like, Oh, while the mean girls were starting fights, Bliss was making cupcakes for her prince and he oh. picked wrong he put the slipper on the wrong girl's foot to begin with and then he found her and they lived happily ever after I, though I think that's a horror story because he looks like a property brother that you <laughs> bought at Big Lots but I digress I this is okay so I got to say one thing I could totally see Micah and Arena Cass's ugly stepsisters he, like okay. easily <laughs> well easily. sorry Micah or or sorry Shelby and Arena cuz I actually think that Shelby is way ruder than Micah and you have How to be dare. really you have to be really rude to be a stepsister <laughs> I think Shelly is the Marguerite of my life I don't think she did anything wrong I think she reacted accordingly and I will not stand for this but you are all right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But yes, I definitely see that, especially on reality shows. We want it is that aspirational. It is that gettable fantasy. Like if it could happen mm-hmm. for Bliss on Love is Blind or any other number of reality shows, if I could just be a friend of on Real Housewives and I could get <laughs> a bunch of free plastic surgery and then my yeah. life will be better. And then yeah. people see that and that is inspirational to them. But I, I think that's interesting that it's it's all it's trickled all the way down to reality <laughs> TV shows now. So yeah. so one thing to bring up here is so we talked about the Cinderella story. I think there's another narrative that ever after in my in my mind, and you may disagree with me, but in my mind, I see a direct pipe uh, trajectory or pipeline from ever after to. 10 Things I Hate About You to Legally Blonde to even Princess Diaries. And not because they're about princesses, but because they are about these characters who don't fit the traditional mold of like what it means to be this thing. Um, Would you agree? And are there other movies that should kind of fit into this category of the technically sort of a rom-com, but it's more, but it's so much more than that, if you know what I mean? She's the man is the first thing I thought of because Violet, Amanda Bynes' character is sort of, you know, they're trying to fit her into this princessy, like prissy finishing school mold. And all this girl wants to do is play soccer. And then (laughs) she falls in love under auspicious and deceptive (laughs) circumstances and has to like come clean. And it turns out that, you know, the dude had feelings for her all along, you know, just based on her because her personality is so incredible. And she has uh, her her brother's uh, girlfriend on her tail as like stepsister number one. And then there's someone else that I'm totally blanking on. Oh, the it's gr- like her mom is a little bit like yeah. that. She's got like sort of like evil-esque <laughs> or like evil step sibling family members happening around her. So I think that that could kind of fit in there. Plus it is, you know, you could lump it in with the Shakespeare adaptations that were, you know, that – 10 Things I Hate About You is based on and even just this other secondary wave of Shakespeare adaptations for the 90s that were happening around this time. And she's the man was one too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. What other things fit in that genre? I think you mentioned Legally Blonde, I think works in that. I, I think a key part of the Cinderella story is being underestimated. And we really love, I think as women, it's very... Uh, fun to watch 
them play out successfully um, because we are so often underestimated. And so it's like that big mistake, huge moment is so satisfying. We do see it a lot. I can't think of an example other than Legally Legally Blonde is great. Um, I'm completely drawing a blank, but I know they're all my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) I was just thinking that, you know what? Most of Amanda Bynes movies in the 2000s kind of fit this because what a girl wants is very similar where she finds out, you know, she's the daughter of a Lord and they think she's American trash, but she's so much better than that. And, and then there's even Sydney white, which is a modern (laughs) adaptation of snow white where Uh she, they, you know, don't think she deserves to be in this sorority despite being a legacy. And she turns out she's she's she can be more popular than the evil queen or whatever, the modern version mm-hmm. of that. So it is interesting. Yeah, I feel like the ever after walk. So Amanda Bynes ca- career in the 2000s could run in some ways. <laughs> Underrated comedy. The House Bunny could also oh, yes. you could also yes. argue for a position here because Anna Ferris's character is underestimated. She's just some dumb ex-playboy bunny. Like, she can't run a sorority. And then also the from riches to rags to riches again, but it's about internal riches now and not necessarily external Ooh. riches anymore. You know, they, it could kind of fit in there. I believe, That's a great pull. Thank the, you. The What's hilar- interesting about this is almost so many of the movies we just talked about were written by Karen McCullough and Kristen Lutz. So we've got <laughs> 10 things I hate about you legally blonde. I didn't, we didn't like Ella enchanted, but it was written by them, the house bunny and she's the man. So Whoa. she, they wrote in the two thousands from like 99 to like 2009 wrote a steady stream of these kind of misunder. I was about to say misunderestimated, like I'm George W. Bush over <laughs> here. Misunderestimated. That feels like a Danity. That's a Danity Kane song in the making. <laughs> but I, I would also want to point out that the screenwriter or one of the screenwriters of Ever After would go on to write Aaron Brockovich. So that is also another yes. woman who and was underestimated. Oh my God. Well, she wrote that first. Yeah. <laughs> Just following and in she- her princess trajectory historically quote-unquote accurate (laughs) wait that's a movie that also didn't need a framing device (laughs) Uh, we're really going pretend here let's make it a whole pretend thing um and sidebar she's also writing Susanna Grant's also writing the tv series of this book I just read that I love have y'all read lessons in chemistry Yeah. yeah 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 it's such a good book it's like grossly misadvertised because this cover looks like uh, like really airporty uh chiclet book but it's actually one of the most feminist things I've ever read and it's about like women in STEM and it's fantastic but anyway Susanna Grant wrote written, Ever After it was written by a copywriter I was like this gives me hope <laughs> Margot we are such sisters because I just finished it last week when I was like going through this job interview stuff and I flipped to the back and I read that like she's a creative director and I sobbed. I started crying. So yeah, I know Susanna Grant. I know Susanna. I know that writer, not Susanna Grant, is a copywriter. But I'm, so, I'm glad that yeah. Susanna Grant's going to write the adaptation. Now I know it's going to be yeah. really good and I don't Dang have to worry. It. Yeah. Queen of the Adaptations, which I think is like that's her, yes. you know, nickname. She's like known for doing them very well. What a title. I know. I, I would love to learn. Me too. <laughs> Take both me so and Mark under your wing. Deal. Yeah, you heard Molly. We are, we're, we're sisters. <laughs> we are sisters. <laughs> 
Screenwriting Sisters sounds like a reality show on TLC, but I would tune into it hardcore. I mean, there is lots of drama in our writers group, so it could easily be. We have a clear, we have a clear villain. Uh, yes, so. it's just us dunking on someone in our group chat that does not include them. Uh. Oh, I can't believe you said that out loud. Dangerous. I don't think that they listen. Well, I think I know who you're talking about because you and I chatted about this person a couple weeks ago. So, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked, of course, about our Queen Drew earlier and how we love her wholesome energy and just why she means uh, so much to us to this day. Do you guys think anyone else could have played Danielle as convincingly as Drew Barrymore? And and especially around this time period in particular, maybe in 2023, that could change. But like in 1998 in particular. No, never. I really don't think so. I mean, the painting, Emily, just the painting alone looks just like her. (laughs) Yes, Leonardo (laughs) da Vinci Oracle. (laughs) What do you think, Emily? Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. There, go ahead. I was just gonna say, Emily, do you have any any '90s polls? Because I can't think of anybody that's like as whole, like who has like a wholesomeness, but like an edge that she that only she can pull off. I'm really drawing a blank of like any other '90s girls that were in Drew's <laughs> even her range of acting. Look, I think in the alternate universe, we know now that Melanie Linsky could have bodied the Danielle role. Sure. Yes. yes. Uh, I think she's perfect as Jacqueline that I would hate. I would not like that universe as much as I like the Drew universe. But um, sorry, I cut you off, Emily. What were you going to say? No, I mean, I agree with you on Melanie Linsky uh, could maybe do it. But yeah, at that at that point, there just wasn't anyone quite like Drew. And uh, even to this day, I like I think there are some actresses who could maybe pull it off. But like she just had this perfect like kind of like how I think um a Bella Ramsey was a perfect Catherine birdie um I think Drew Barrymore was just like a perfect Danielle and there is just no one at that time that could have even I mean maybe 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 Kate Winslet maybe thank you but I was about to say I mean even Titanic hadn't come out yet but she's the only other person that kind of has this it like cherubic ch- yeah. like angelic vibe to them that could conceivably pull it off but there's just something Uh, about drew's there's like a lightness to her Mm -hmm. that i think really a lightness but like underneath you can just tell they're full of pain and that's like lived experience you know that Mm -hmm. i think that maybe kate winslet could fake but maybe some of like the i think the emotional gut punches land so well when these horrible betrayals happen to danielle slash drew barrymore i think they just land so much better because you also know that something like that has happened to her the way that she's reacting it feels so like from a a guttural place that i'm sure kate winslet could get there but it's not going to have the impact of like causing a bunch of nine-year-old girls to spontaneously sob you know when her dad's (laughs) book gets thrown in the fire (laughs) i I think that's a good person to put forward but ultimately i think well i agree with all your points margo but i also think that kate winslet is too stately mm-hmm. like i really can't picture kate winslet you know with dirt on her face or or anything even even back then i think that she has too much of the upper class look to her whereas like drew barrymore is a man of the people um and maybe honestly maybe that's a american aesthetic versus a european aesthetic i don't know but yeah, it's gotta be he's gotta be Drew for me <laughs> till the end. 
Um, is there so so we've talked about 1998. This is when this movie comes out. 25 years later, rewatching it. Is there anything that you're you're seeing now that you don't think aged very well and in a should ever after had ever after been made in 2023 probably would have been made slightly differently in some way. Um, unfortunately, I don't think these would be any different now necessarily, but um, truly could not be a 90s movie without a little bit of fat shaming in the corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like so upsetting um, to find that in here. And I would hope that movies of this time do better. But I also know from watching movies current day that they don't do not so that's kind of the only thing I can really think of oh and also uh we would find a different group of people to uh accost Henry and Danielle in the woods yes uh, thank you don't, uh, make a caricature out of Roma people anymore <laughs> sorry yes. yeah all of that is th- that felt like the most 90s I think to me was just like oh we have this roaming band of people who who take things and are and are gonna beat you up for no reason (laughs) they're to be feared and it felt a little gross (laughs) a little bit but you know I guess they make it up to them by giving them a horse and letting them party with them or whatever but Mm -hmm. that was the one part I was like maybe we didn't need this maybe we could have <laughs> done something else or yeah, we they're... could have, have them but like don't ascribe an ethnic group to them just be like oh these are the guys yeah <laughs> I don't know. They're hooligans, they're the just hooligans. hooligans. Mm-hmm. or you know they're yeah. always like in a vague war couldn't they be from like the other side of said vague war sure <laughs> or like just a rowdy group of actors on their way to the next show i've seen actors <laughs> They'll start a fight and then party with you. So that seems historically accurate to me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I feel like there's I think this is you're you're right with all of these things. Um, the fat shaming. Yeah, I just I hate that and, and it's crazy because twenty-five years later, Melanie Linsky is still getting these kinds of comments where in this movie there's this, you know, the there's like this slight fat shaming, which just feels awful. And now in and and twenty-five years later, she's getting comments because she couldn't lead an uprising of people in an apocalyptic world. <laughs> like it's it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. But it's like it's so funny to me not funny but sad that 25 years later melanie linsky is still like dealing with a comment like this much like how she was portrayed in this script of this film even though she's a lovely character otherwise i'm happy she ends up with someone very kind at the end but uh yeah she gets she gets flack for such you know 90s directed by a male director of course reasons well, and it's especially dumb. I'm going to bring it back to the framing device. <laughs> like, okay, bitch, if you're going to tell me that this is a documentary and these are real people, <laughs> you would not fat shame people in this time period. To be fat is a sign of wealth. You would yes. be like, wow, you're too skinny. You look like a poor person. There's no reason to do it. It's just like 90s bullshit yes. in this documentary, and I will not stand for it. 
in justice the- for Melanie Lynch. In this documentary yes. reenactment starring <laughs> very well-trained actors. Yeah, it, exactly. It is very weird. Emily, I can't I I'm so glad you brought up the comparison that Melanie Lynch getting, is getting the exact same comments contemporarily that she is in this movie because holy shit that is wow, great. I'm so glad that we've learned nothing. <laughs> I God. all I have to say is God bless Jason Ritter. I fucking love that man, <sighs> and I love that he loves the shit out of his wife, and he will make jokes about being a curvy wife guy, <laughs> but not being like the curvy wife guy. Well, like that was probably the most attention that Adrian Curry has gotten in like ten years. So whatever. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Why are we listening to this weirdo anti-vaxer to begin with about <laughs> thoughts on a, a show that takes place in a reality that is not real pedro pascal is not really a man who delivers people cross country in real life like let's all take a beat and a breath <laughs> that's all you know <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, just sarah so- paulson okay i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask you guys we've talked a lot about the different facets of this movie we've we've analyzed like how it's seen then versus now and kind of it's it's narrative I'd love to know for you all, we've talked about a bunch of different things, but is there a standout scene or character that we need to talk about that we have not addressed at this point? I'd love for you to bring up. Margot, you seem to have someone. Okay, the creepy guy whose name is basically Pepe Le Pew that yes. in Dallas Houston sells Drew Barrymore to at the end. Played by Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show, by the way. Oh my god, I know. Once once you take off that, cre- that goatee does a lot of creep work, I will say. It like is so unsettling. But that whole yep. subplot is so disturbing that like essentially Angelica Houston was happy to have any of the help killed while she sold off her own furniture and framed everybody that worked for her as thieves and was like totally fine that they were like gonna get hanged or whatever and then ultimately trades her stepdaughter for debt like that the whole concept and then she's locked up in this castle and there's a very heavy sexual assault cloud over proceedings and it feels so dark and it feels so fucked up it's like happening to this character after everything she's gone to that it really kind of felt unnecessary at times but the Pepe Le Pew character was just like do we need like the the town sexual assaulter like on top of everything (laughs) else I don't know so I love how I have uh, two thoughts about this um I love how this movie goes out of this its way to try and redeem characters that we have originally thought as a villain. Like, I think they do a fantastic job with Angelica Houston of like, Ooh, girl, she is hurt. So she's hurting other people. Like she's like just a woman trying to get her plan done. Um, but they're like, ha no, actually everybody else's nuance. This guy is a shit. <laughs> and you can tell by his mustache and the way he talks, he is bad. Um, but the second thing I will say about Monsieur Le Pew is that it's important because Danielle rescues herself. Um, as the prince is coming to save her from this fate, she's already saved herself. And uh, I think I'm, while I agree with you, the creep factor is high, 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 high. Um, I do think that it's worth it for the shot of Drew Barrymore coming out of the castle, looking back and laughing to herself. Cause I think that is such a funny, cute private moment before she even sees the prince. And it's so um, important that she saves herself. Um, and I don't think she could 
without this last little thing. Yeah, it just it just sort of is like, you know, when you're having a hard time and then like one more bad thing happens to you. That's exactly. how I, I'm just like, can we give this one a break? You know, yeah, they do. Is it, yeah it, eventually it comes. But the last slap, I mean, I think the relationship that or non whatever relationship she has with Angelica Houston throughout just becomes sadder and sadder, even when you get like a glimmer of hope. And I really respect that mm-hmm. there's no saving this relationship and and it's not said or done with any sort of like malice or anger it's just sort of like I'm not going to convince you to like love or care about me and I think that that's obviously another instance of her of her saving herself but it's also one of the dynamics that I really enjoy watching the most um of all the characters you bring up a monologue that I really do enjoy at the end of the film where they come to the court and they introduce, you know, they they accuse, they they charge them with lying to the queen, and then they introduce Danielle as, you know, the king, the, the prince's wife, and she goes up to them and and basically saves them from their tra- the original sentencing of death, essentially, and says, you know, you, I just want you to know that I will never think of you after mm. this moment but you will forever think of me and the courtesy that I bestowed upon you at this point. And then goes on to say like, all that I ask is that you, you give these people the same treatment and courtesy that they gave me. And I can't like imagine I, I, this was the first time I'd watched this movie in so long. And yet I remember this monologue so vividly. Uh Um, But there's just something so wonderful about that because to your point, Margo, it is this very realistic moment in which she is not cruel but she is just and she is giving she is giving herself the you know she is in a, in a in a moment of agency there where she chooses for these people to not die but at the same time for them to be given the faith that they deserve after the way they treated not only her but the um the the people who worked in her um this uh, the other servants at this home in the state it's a very taylor swift move it is just and cold but satisfying and not like horrible 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 it's the medieval medieval fairy tale version of the one dollar you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah i agree with you i think that's brilliant um i don't know that there's any part that i well i don't know i um something i think is particularly relevant to podcasters is i love the part when um Marguerite says, I'm not shrill, I'm resonant. A courtier knows the difference. (laughs) I think I'm not shrill, I'm resonant, like should be on like more girl boss uh, like branding because I think that's really important. Um, And I think about that all the time. Uh, like I think a year ago so I'm very scared of bees and quite loudly scared of bees and we were at a winery and um, (laughs) one of our someone was coming over to like refill our glasses or whatever and I started freaking out and I was like oh it's it's a bee like from ever after and he's like oh from ever after I'm like you know ever after and he's like oh my god I would have died yeah I was like oh my god I, wow. I'm assuming he has uh, a daughter that is around my age, which is why he is familiar with, oh, it was a bee, like is familiar <laughs> with that segment of Ever After. Um, wow. But yeah, he's my dude. I love that guy. That's, <laughs> I would 
cry tears of blood if somebody like got an obscure ever after reference in the wild. That's in- I love that. I'm so happy about that. I'm I, so sorry about you and the bees. It's okay. Yes, it is an irrational fear as I tell everyone. So like, just calm down. I'm like, it's irrational. Like, I don't, I don't have time to be <laughs> rational about. Yeah, I'm sure that'd be great if I calm down, but. In the years that you've known me and watched me react to bees, have I ever approached the situation in a chill manner? I'm just going to reverse course on that. In the 30 plus years Mm-mm. I've been alive, absolutely not. Mm-mm. Everybody gets one. Thank You're you. fine. Thank you. And after what they did to Macaulay Culkin, they deserve it. Oh my God. I, I guarantee you that is the like core memory that fuels my irrational fear of bees. Yes. Thomas had J. really bad PR in the 90s. <laughs> They're kind of coming out of it now, but Macaulay Culkin remembers. <laughs> on, on that note, um, are there any final things that we need to discuss about Ever After before we uh, close this episode? Uh, Angelica Houston deserves a Oscar today for her work in this movie. She has the best eyebrow acting in the entire game. Even with those thin ass '90s eyebrows, um, her del- her exquisite del- delivery of "you poor little country girl" uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame. Everywhere there are halls of fame, even ones that are not dedicated to filmmaking. Um, baseball, football, baseball, hall of fame, football, rock and roll hall of fame, album of the year, song of the summer, Angelica Houston, um, Drew Barrymore, befriend me, hire me. And yeah, those are my final thoughts on Over After. I love it. I really liked Drew Barrymore's story of how she convinced Angelica Houston to yes! star in the movie because she was hesitant and didn't want to say yes. And just her yelling, Houston, Barrymore, Barrymore, Houston. It's the most Drew Barrymore story I've ever heard in my entire life. And the fact that you've got this like, wholesome wood nymph like screaming at you you obviously cannot say no and i just found that story to be such an utter delight and i appreciate and salute drew barrymore for doing us a solid and getting angelica houston in there nothing but (laughs) respect for my president no that actually brings up a secondary point i want to bring up which is that if you are a girly who's enjoying this episode run don't walk to youtube and watch the entire ever after retrospective from the drew barrymore show yeah it is cinema uh especially the part where they talk about how they all lived in this like french town while filming melanie linsky uh and the lady who plays marguerite lived together they shot nude pictures they got in car crashes and one night the entire cast was in a bar and drew and melanie linsky and the other lady uh got in trouble for dancing on the bar and you know how when you ask people when you'd want to go back in time to yeah. People are always like, I'd want to go back in time and like screw Marilyn Monroe. And that's a dumb answer because you couldn't screw Marilyn Monroe. You probably couldn't kill baby Hitler. But I could get dropped off in France in <laughs> yeah. 1997, six, and I could go to this bar on that exact night and I could party with them. Where- and that's all I want in my whole life. You know, where is this behind the scenes Ryan Murphy miniseries? All right. 
Fosse Verdon, get, get out of here. Get out of here. Behind <laughs> the scenes ever after, south of France, 97, summer 97, baby. Like, Fosse Verdon's for fucking nerds. Let's get <laughs> France, summer 97, Linsky, Barrymore, Houston. <laughs> Let's get it together. I would like to be dropped off either in this small town where they shot because it's definitely a fucking small town. Because I'm like, yeah. I'm looking at it on the map, I'm like, what bar did you guys even go to? I know. Conversely, I would also like to be dropped off at the Mamma Mia rap party um if someone yes. could hook that up both I movies be, both, both movies both times this, this is my sister I would say I the do. same thing this is my yes. sister both, yeah. are, both of you are my sisters today it's again the citizen canes of plain movies I I will not be taking any <laughs> other comments after that no, do not send your notes to Emily because she shan't be opening them <laughs> shut up <laughs> closed <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, um, a delight. Ladies, what a delight. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. Such a blast. Molly, before we end today, do you have anything that you're working on that you'd like to plug? Any shout outs? Um, I would like to give a shout out to everybody in our writers group. Minus <laughs> the person that I wouldn't give a shout out to. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to give a shout out to Margot for helping me get a job um, and then I want to give a shout out to everybody please follow me on uh, Twitter if Twitter still exists at Sirius Molly uh, and on Instagram because Instagram definitely still exists at Molly fucking Sanchez and that's where you'll find all my stand updates and anything else that I'm working on um, thank you so much for having me I will do any ever after podcast <laughs> any day of the week uh, but this might have been one of my faves so Oh, yeah. well, thank you. She's tech avail, people. Tech avail. <laughs> Scream about ever after. <laughs> I'm an expert witness. We're so excited to have the most expert of witnesses of ever after on our podcast. I feel like we covered new terrain, terroir, if you will. <laughs> we are in France 1512. Um, and I really feel like, you know, Emily and I got to, to get educated, got to be schooled on ever yeah. after. And we feel so blessed yeah. to share our many sisterly interests with you. See, <laughs> you know, thank you. Well, and, and thank you all, audience, for once again tuning in to the Old Millennials podcast. As you know, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may listen to your podcasts. And if you're on either of these sites and there's a way to leave a rating and review, please do. We always appreciate that. Additionally, we have a Patreon that we just rebooted, and we'd love for you to come join us over there. Five bucks a month gets you a bonus piece of content. Uh, this month, we did a bonus episode on our Indie Sleaze episode of Honorable Mentions of the songs that didn't make our main feed episode. And so we'd love to have you join us there and get a bonus playlist out of it, I might add. Uh, Yes. Uh, so if you are interested, patreon.com slash old millennials pod. You can also find our social media on Instagram and Facebook at the old millennials pod. And individually on Twitter, I'm at Emily A. Beijing. I'm at Marg Shiro. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.